You're listening to highlights of our episode on David Byrne's Theatre of the Mind and Science Sandbox Films. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Who is David Byrne? In, uh... I have no idea. Most people know me through music, but when I was in high school, I saw science and the arts as being equally creative fields. More recently, I just started taking an interest in how the brain works, and there's been this explosion of literature. As much as I love reading about neuroscience, I realized that experiencing some of the phenomena is just on a different level. I wanted to create an experience that shows us we're not who we think we are. Theater of the Mind is an immersive science theater project. With this show, I've tried to marry a narrative to the experience of different scientific phenomena that reveal how malleable our perception, memory, and identity really are. To make a production like this work, it's a big, invisible team. There's actors, lighting designers, sound designers, technical people. So it's a really complicated system. Everyone, welcome. This is Theater of the Mind. How do we operate in a world where we're not sure what's real and what's not? If things are unreliable, then what do we trust? People think of science as being intimidating. But it also doesn't mean that you can't understand it or can't enjoy it. Our emotions, our sense of self, our relationship to other people is all connected to our perception, that you can't separate one of these things from another. They all work together to make us what we are. So I have to ask, who is David Byrne? Uh, I'm fully functional, but I, I, it's, it's a work in progress, yeah. You start the film with, who is David Byrne? And he's asking himself, he's a little taken aback by the question. I guess for each of you, who are you, Nick, John, Ian? What your <laughs> sense of self and consciousness? Yeah, I think David made it clear in the film, and I think it's really true, is that people are not static. We're ever evolving. And so I'm not the same person that I was when I was a kid. Maybe a cop out for this answer, but I do think it's true. I could say that I'm a filmmaker, I'm a New Yorker, all these things, but I really do think what he said in the piece is true, that we're constantly changing, and I'm sure I'll be a different Ian Wabayat in five years from now. Yeah, to me, it evokes this question, is who you are communicable, and is it possible for other people <laughs> beyond maybe one or two or none to really know that? And I think it's funny because the show really plays with that, and without giving too much away, each time you go through the show, it's not going to be the same experience as you had the last time. For one, there's different actors who play David throughout the show 
and they have different vocal indentations. They might interpret part of the script differently and do a line reading that's different that might color your experience of one of the memories that you're going through. So I think it's fascinating in that way. And the David show really plays with that idea. But yeah, beyond adjectives of like what I do and who I hang out with and who I love and where I live, I think there's an argument to be made who I am that's not really communicable. It's an uncomfortable question to be confronted with on Tuesday at 1 p.m. in the middle of a work day. And I agree with what these guys said. I think there's many selves. There's the me that's on this podcast right now that's maybe more presentational than the me over a beer with Ian or me with my family or partner. And I think similarly with documentary, going back to the meta storytelling themes I was bringing up earlier, there's a big question about documentary truth when doing portraits of characters. And is this the real version of that person? And I think when you do these kinds of films, you're only able to capture one of those selves. And so to me, the question raises a lot of storytelling questions about whether documentaries are objective or any more real of a portrait of a person than a scripted film. In a sense, the way Ian was talking about earlier, this film was scripted and written based on interviews, much in the three-act structure way, the way you might a narrative film. And so I'm just connecting your question to the sort of thoughts that I have when we create these kinds of stories about how we portray people in these three-minute sections where really only one of their many identities can come through. John, why don't you give an overview of what the series is, and then maybe Ian can talk about the process of making Theater of the Mind specifically. Mm. So for us, Stories of Impact is a series that shows the real world influences the projects that we support. Really, it started as a way to provide our awardees with many of whom don't have very large communications budgets or the capacity to make these sorts of films in-house. The idea is to provide them a mechanism to tell their story in a way that's not traditional. And I guess what I mean by traditional is it's not listing, for example, how many people they've reached or a board member talking directly to camera. It's taking one story, one individual who has gone through their programming or, or worked with them and telling that story and how it's shaped their lives or help them reimagine their relationship to science. And the idea is that these organizations take these videos and, and use them for various purposes, whether it's more traditional like marketing or uh, in meetings with other funders or potentially new participants for their programs, what have you. So, so Theater of Mind was, was definitely in that aim. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've been doing this for about six years with Science Sandbox, and each year they present basically three possible grantees of theirs that could be potential stories for us. And with each of them, including Theater of the Mind, we really start with researching their work and better understanding how can we capture the spirit of their work and how can we anchor that through the perspective, as John said, typically one character or someone that can take us on that journey. And so with theater of the mind, it was basically that process. We really wanted to understand what the actual theater experience was so we could better reflect it in the piece. And what was fun about this one is it offered so much creative potential because, of course, it's David Byrne. So the experience itself offered so much for us to play with. And so from the beginning, it was about how can we capture the spirit of this experience within three minutes? And we really leaned into the actual theater experience itself and in, in, in terms of the story structure and the kind of questions the experience offers. And so that really informed the whole process. And another layer to this is with each of these stories of impact films that we do, we typically have the luxury of a pre-interview with our subjects. Mm. And a way that also informs how the visuals will come together. David was from the very beginning and through the facilitation of John and his team was 
open to being part of that process, which I think is really critical for the story building element of it. But those pre-interviews become essentially the building blocks for the story. And we transcribe those interviews and almost write it out in a way. We start to structure the story from there. And just speaking about theater and climate change, um, one of the pieces that we're really proud of was supporting a Simons Foundation grantee called Chicken Shed. And we produced that piece this year. So your audiences should go check it out. I was definitely shy growing up, but performing really allowed me to come out of my shell more and to express myself without fear of judgment. I could be creative and just go out there with confidence. When I was in middle school, I became passionate about the environment and climate change. It really is something that younger generations did not cause, but we're the ones who have to deal with this every day for the rest of our lives. It's definitely the fight of our generation. That's why I'm so excited about Chicken Shed's upcoming show. We are coming together as a community to talk about this issue in a creative way. Before Chicken Shed, I really thought that theater was a lot more competitive. It really changed my mindset about that because we don't have auditions, so everyone is going to feel like they are part of something and not like they're being left out. Learning and inclusivity don't often work together, but at Chicken Shed, we got to connect with different people like a marine biologist and a food waste expert. And that's definitely reflected in our show because we have reused and recycled everything, like our clothing for costumes and different boxes and bags for the set. I even wrote a monologue about the importance of stopping climate change and pollution at a local scale. Chicken Shed really gives everyone a platform to be able to collaborate and to make change together. Being able to devise a show from the youth perspective is not oftentimes something that you see in theater, but it really is important to young people as a whole. I definitely am going to take away a lot from this experience. It really showed me the importance of collaboration because you're never going to solve climate change as one person. You're never going to make any change by yourself. Don't Stop Believing is our way of saying, we believe in this and we want you to believe in it too. And John can speak more to the organization writ large, but our story followed a young theater performer who, along with other young people, put on a play about climate change informed by real scientists, real marine biologists, including discussion of reefs and other challenges that oceans are facing due to climate change. And I think what's really exciting about that piece and that approach for me personally is that we don't necessarily expect that the play will move the needle on climate change. But I think it was very clear from following this young protagonist who embarked on this act of storytelling and performance herself, that she felt a great deal of catharsis and also empowerment by creating this artistic piece and sharing it with other young people. And that this artistic expression set her on a lifelong journey to deal with this issue, which she knows, I think she's 17 and sits uniquely on her generation's shoulders. And so I do think there's an important synthesis between science, the arts, and the actual tackling of the actual formidable challenge that we face.
I feel very strongly that stories have power and people's personal stories are powerful and that everybody has personal experiences with science, whether they realize they do or not. And that is what I want young people to realize, that their stories matter. And that I think John articulated it well, that science is personal and it's yours to craft and it's yours to explore and it's your story to tell. I would just say that change can start within, whether that means asking the right questions or really figuring out, okay, if you don't like something, how can you be part of changing it? And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it by yourself. I think there are a lot of other people that were probably feeling the same way that you do. And it's important to find those people and work with them or listen to them, learn from them. It's easy to feel alone and cynical, but you'd be surprised to understand that there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way and want to change things. Yeah, totally that. I think something I love about this job is that we all get caught up in these big systems thinking, like how do we move the needle on something like climate change? But I'm always in awe of the people for whom their job it is to get their after school program of 15, 20 kids, get them all signed onto Zoom or get them all in the classroom, get them fed and get them to complete their work and get them home at the end of the time. It's such a seemingly small thing, but that's their focus and they're able to do it so well. And those people are miracles to me. I think the people who can focus on, on the day-to-day things that we have to do, frankly. That's not a small thing. And I think to Nick's point, cynical people tend to be the loudest and there's a lot of loud voices out there that can make you feel like things are are hopeless or whatever. But being hopeful is a choice that we can all make. And there's a lot of people who maybe aren't as loud, but they're doing essential work and they're all around you. And I think on the science point, scientists stand on the shoulders of scientists that come before them. It's an evolving thing. It's not a fixed thing. You don't need to be led in by anyone. You can have ownership of it and you can contribute. I think that's important. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.